Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Visitor's Bullpen. I'm Matt Wyrick, alongside my co-host, Kevin Haswell. Kevin, how are you doing today? Fresh off the trade deadline, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good. A lot of topics to discuss today. We have a special guest, Michael Rockless. Uh, he was on a couple weeks ago. Uh, always great to have him on the show. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to get into these trade de- deadline topics. Yeah, Michael, thanks for coming on. How about you tell the viewers a little bit about yourself so we can get familiar? Yeah, so I was on a couple weeks ago right before the All-Star game. Really glad to be back. Uh, just a little background on me. I'm a rising uh, third-year student at UVA. You can tell I go to UVA because I say third year, not junior. Um, and yeah, just sports-wise, uh, co-president of the Sports Business Society at UVA. It's a new club. Uh, check out our website, wahoosportsanalytics.wordpress.com. We're starting to get some good stuff on there. Kind of focus more on the uh, analytics side of sports with some stats and numbers in there. Uh, to kind of justify some of our opinions. Speaking of checking things out, we're on TuneIn Radio and iTunes starting this week. So if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to us. Get us downloaded on your phone and check out all our previous episodes. We've got a lot of good topics in there. We've got a lot of good topics today. Now we're focusing on the trade deadline as obviously that's the biggest uh, storyline in general this week. Now there's a ton of things that happen and we'll get to it. First thing though is the biggest trade, in my opinion, of the entire deadline, and that's the Sonny Gray deal. The Yankees acquired Gray from the Athletics for three prospects, outfielder Dustin Fowler, who's number 77 on the MLB Pipeline Top 100, infielder, outfielder Jorge Mateo, and right-handed pitcher James Caprellian. In addition to Gray, the Yankees also received $1.5 million international bonus pool money. Now Gray is under contract for this season as well as the next two seasons, so not a rental. Certainly they get a lot of years of control. He's just 27 at the moment, so... Definitely got his prime ahead of him. Kevin, we'll start with you. Who do you think won this trade, and and was the value good on both sides just in general? Yeah, so I think the Yankees got the steal in this deal. Um, I was listening to another podcast earlier today, Ringer, um, MLB show, and they were saying that this could end up with the A's, uh, with Fowler just being like a fourth outfielder, and he'd be the best player that comes out of that deal uh, for the A's. So. The Yankees may have gotten a steal with Sonny Gray. He's been pitching pretty well this year. Um, he's had been up and down the last couple seasons, but the Yankees were in desperate need of a couple of pitchers uh, for their starting rotation, and they made the smart move for Gray. Uh, they also did not give up a ton for him. Like I said, Fowler, I mean, top prospect. But uh, also another thing I want to mention is uh, multiple prospects in this deal are injured, so um, the A's definitely taking a risk with trading for some of these young prospects but for the Yankees I think it's a it's a great deal smart move yeah I gotta agree with Kevin on this one um, really good move for them obviously you mentioned the years of control which is and especially at an affordable price really big um, in baseball right now um, and if you're Oakland it's kind of interesting if you have Sonny Gray for another two and a half three years why not hold out to the off season or next season where you can maybe get a better deal they opted not to do that. I, I saw a funny tweet yesterday where someone was saying, oh, so the Athletics now have three guys that they're going to trade six years from now at the deadline. So that's kind of, it almost seems like that's what they uh, wound up with. And if you're the Yankees kind of going beyond this year, which it certainly helps this year, they're in that AL East race and beyond that, the wild card race, which is pretty tight, even though I think they're in good shape to, to at least make that one game. They now have three guys that maybe they're not sure fire number ones between uh, Tanaka, Severino, and Sonny Gray, but you have three guys that, out there that form a very formidable postseason rotation. And I think the most important aspect of this trade 
is the fact that their biggest problem moving forward was the starting pitching. Tanaka's not all that reliable. Severino's not proven. Sabathia's old. You look at them right now, and this is a team with really good position-playing prospects, almost like the Cubs, and adding Gray, that allows them to focus on the offensive free agents that are coming up in the next couple years. When you think of a Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, maybe now with Sonny Gray in the rotation, they can focus on spending their money on those guys instead of upgrading the starting pitching. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Kevin, as you mentioned, the injured prospects is a bit uh, shaky for the Oakland side. Billy Bean is kind of heralded as one of the greatest GMs in baseball simply because he was kind of the father of the sabermetrics movement. But now that everyone's kind of caught up, he's playing catch-up himself. So with Fowler out torn tendon in his knee, which he did in his MLB debut, does necessarily mean that he won't come back okay. And he was in the majors at that point. So they do have an MLB-ready prospect who's supposedly going to be ready for the start of next season. But then you also have Caprellian, who, former first-round pick, but he's only made 14 minor league appearances in his two years playing. He battled an injury in his first year. Now is not having Tommy John. And then Mateo, who was actually a demoted prospect, was the Yankees' former number one prospect before they started bringing in all those guys with their rebuild from their mini rebuild from last season. Uh, he was so he was that top prospect. Has 80 grade speed and is both a middle infielder and center fielder with tremendous arm strength. But they're not sure where they're going to play him at this point. And his bat has come alive this year, but wasn't necessarily great last year. So he's still got some things to work on. So from Oakland standpoint, it is definitely questionable. Um, but Gray's the real deal, and you can't argue that this is the year to go all in with the way the Red Sox have slipped lately and the American League playoff picture. The way. Aaron Judge has emerged on the scene. The Yankees did exactly what they needed to do, and they did it without dealing their top three prospects. Glaber Torres, number three uh, on the MLB pipeline, Clint Frazier's 27, and Chance Adams, 61, all ranked higher than Dustin Fowler, who is the highlight name in this deal, which is just incredible if you think about it. And you look, even from, you look at you Darvish, the trade there, which we'll get to in a little bit. That was for a rental, right? Gray still has two more years and is younger. Yet, the deal that Oakland made for Gray really isn't that much better than the Darvish trade. They could have held on. They argued before that, oh, if we don't get the right price for Gray, we're going to hold him. It seemed like at the end, that was just kind of them throwing words out there. They really did want to trade him, and they wanted to get as maximum uh, amount of prospects in return as they could at this deadline, which it may end up costing them down the road, especially if Gray pitches well down the stretch. That would have given him a full second half to show that he is returned to that guy that finished top three in Cy Young voting two seasons ago. Now you're kind of questioning, well, they got two hurt guys. They got one guy who was demoted. There's really, there's upside in these players, but there's nothing to get super excited about at the moment. And that's why I'm a little questionable with the move uh, personally, because I think they could have done better if they waited. New York absolutely pulled all the right strings. Brian Cashman, who's actually a free agent GM after this season, He's making a name for himself and will absolutely be a hot commodity, although the Yankees definitely have the money to pay for it. So uh, if I were them, I would certainly be keeping on to uh, Cashman after this season. Yeah, I think I think the A's just got very desperate with Sonny Gray because, you know, they he's been on on everyone's radar the last couple of years of the trade deadline. And his value was down last year, wasn't pitching well, injured and stuff. This year, pitching well. Um, and they, they just didn't want to take the wild card of, you know, maybe him not pitching well the rest of the season or getting hurt again and his value going down. And it's been the highest, his value is as high as it's going to, as it's been over the last like 
two years, so they just wanted to take advantage, and they did it at a lower price than they maybe could have gotten in the offseason, but uh, the Yankees definitely stole this one. Yeah, of course he does it in the year where he has the down year in the year I have him on my fantasy team. The one year I didn't win the championship of our league, kind of disappointed about that. I held on to him for way too long because I'm like, he's Sonny Gray. Of course he's going to turn out okay, but never really seemed to put it together last year. And even had a rough first half this year, everyone was kind of saying, oh, this is kind of the new Sonny Gray. This is how we got to get used to, kind of the same that we did with Andrew McCutcheon. But both of them have had strong second half, strong past two months. And, I mean, you look at what Gray's going to be doing. He's pitching in pinstripes now. So definitely trade deadline worked out for him. He's got a bright future in New York. Now he kind of gets to get out of the dump that is Oakland and play for one of the most historic franchises in the history of all major sports, which is just incredible. So good luck to him. I think that's an awesome opportunity for him, and I'm excited to see uh, what New York's going to be doing down the stretch. But, yep, as we said earlier, the U Darvish trade also made lots of headlines and was very last-minute. According to reports, they only came to an agreement in the last 20 minutes before the trade deadline hit. The news didn't even break until after 4 o'clock, so this was definitely a ringer right at the buzzer. And, man, what a trade. The Dodgers and Rangers pulled off a last-minute stunner, striking a deal that sent U Darvish to Los Angeles. Second baseman and outfielder Willie Calhoun, who is the number 69 prospect at MLB Pipeline, is the headliner with right-handed pitcher Alex Alexi and infielder Brendan Davis rounding out the package. Michael, we'll start with you. This package, as Darvish is only a rental, maybe not as big of name prospects with Calhoun being that headlining guy. Do you like the return that Texas got out of this, and do you think it makes the Dodgers the standalone best team in baseball? Yeah, so I think for both teams, whenever you're considering a rental like you, Darvish, is, <clears throat> I don't even care what the return package is for the Rangers. Obviously, Calhoun, um, by all accounts, is going to be a serviceable MLB player. Whatever you get for a rental, if your team not in contention like the Rangers, you may as well do it. They do have the relationship um, and the ability to bring Darvish back like the Yankees did with Roldis Chapman last year. So just the simple fact that they were able to get something for him is valuable to me. And if you're the Dodgers, again, why not do this? Um, obviously, they're the best team in baseball. I think they're the best team that we've seen since we've been old enough to, been, to be fans of uh, baseball. Just their, the way that they've been winning games is, is really incredible. Um, and the problem with them, it's not really a huge problem, but they have a very good pitching staff, but none of those guys are what you would particularly call reliable guys. Um, a lot of left-handers in there too, so Darvish mixes, mixes it up as a right-hander. But Rich Hill, Alex Wood, Clayton Kershaw, all three of those guys have some pretty severe injury history. So why not add a team or add a player like a U Darvish that's going to slide right into that? It doesn't even matter, number two or number three spot in the playoff rotation. Um, it just bolsters what's already the best team in baseball. Um, it's a marginal difference for them, really, but in the playoffs where things are so tight, the marginal difference is the difference between winning and losing. Um, so for them, a team that's at this point, you know, they've had some pretty close misses, been to the NLCS a handful of times in the last seven, eight years, um, I, and now they're the best team in baseball without a doubt. May as well go for it. I, I like the move for both teams. Absolutely. They've got one of those powerful offenses in my opinion, that's un pretty underrated. And all those come from behind victories. I was listening to the radio on 106.7 The Fan, and I'm pretty sure it's 31 come from behind victories this season, which shows a lot of grit, a team that looks like it's built to go deep in the postseason. And you got to credit the Dodgers front office, same as New York did, for holding on to those top prospects. 
They held on to Walker Buchler, who's number 13 on MLB Pipeline, Alex Vertigo, number 28, and Yadier Alvarez, who's number 51. Those are those top three guys right ahead of the guy they actually dealt, Calhoun. So they definitely were smart to hold on to those guys and to recognize that this is the season to capitalize. Last year, they kind of didn't necessarily take the right steps to usurp the Cubs, even though it did kind of seem like the Cubs' year. But this year, it looks like far and away, this is the Dodgers' season, and they're going to be tough to beat down the stretch. Yeah, uh, you said that Matt said that Darvish or the Sunny Gray trade was his favorite um, before the deadline, but Darvish was mine. Uh, it was really, really interesting. Ten minutes before the deadline, he tweeted uh, ten minutes until the deadline. And he took a picture of his locker, and you know it was kind of every every fan out there was kind of disappointed not to see Darvish go. And then you know, fifteen minutes after the deadline, Ken Rosenthal sends the tweets, shocking the world, sending Darvish to the Dodgers. Um, this is a great move for the Dodgers. They're leading Major League Baseball in ERA this season uh, with a 309 mark. The second best ERA in the majors is the Diamondbacks at 3.43, almost a third of a run worse than the Dodgers. Um, so in an aspect of their team that they're already terrific at, they got even better. Um, the Dodgers and the Astros going into the All-Star break, uh, going near the deadline, they were both kind of seen as equal favorites to win the World Series. Um, but now the Dodgers, especially in my opinion, are are way ahead of any other team in World Series chances. Um, but yeah, the, the Yankees and the Dodgers definitely won the trade deadline. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Kevin. And I know Matt mentioned they have 31 come from behind victories. I think they only have 31 losses this season. So you think about how ridiculous that is, that when they're behind – which means at the end of games, when they're behind, they lose. So they're a 500 team. And then you just tack on the other 43-odd wins that they have. And it's really incredible. A lot of people thought that the Dodgers were going to go after a left-handed uh, stud from the bullpen, whether it be a Brad Hand from San Diego or Zach Britton from the Orioles. Um, they didn't do that. They kind of added to another strength. So I'm interested to see if that comes back to bite them. They obviously did add a couple of lefties, obviously not in the same class as uh, Zach Britton um, between Singrani and Tony Watson, um, but we'll see how that works out. I, I like Darvish. The ad, the interesting thing, too, on a macro level to me is that the team, a team like the Dodgers, who are far and away the best team in baseball, they really added the best player at the deadline. I think Gray's more valuable because of the control that he has, um, but Darvish is a, is a better pitcher, in my opinion. And I just think that's an interesting thing. And with the second wild card, it seems like the middle class of baseball would be really competitive with all these wild card teams. I know the last time I was on, we talked about how close it was between all those American League wild card teams. National League, it's pretty set uh, with most of their playoff teams. But it's almost interesting to see how the best teams, like the Dodgers, and and you think about the Yankees, who are pretty solid in their playoff spot, um, the Indians making moves, how the best teams seem to be making more moves than those middle of the pack teams just trying to get in. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, there's no such thing as an embarrassment of riches in Major League Baseball. You looked at what the Cubs did last year. I mean, you could argue that Aroldis Chapman was the best player at the trade deadline with the emphasis that has been put on relievers in the postseason these past few years. So they already were looking pretty good. They decided, hey, bullpen is something we really need to lock down. They didn't have confidence in the guys they already had in the ninth inning to hold it down, but they thought, okay, they could be good setup men, and they go out and they get Chapman, which they absolutely needed to do. They give up a guy like Glaber Torres, who, you know, looked like the next big thing, but they said, hey, this is our year. We haven't won a championship in 100-odd years. This is this is the time to go for it. And the Dodgers, they're on a drought of their own. I'm pretty sure they haven't won the World Series since 1988. 
So they're looking to get past. They won that first round against the Nationals this past year, which was their first uh, postseason series victory in a while, too. So they are hungry for more. Kershaw, they don't know how long he's going to be able to hold up with the injury troubles these past few years. He's getting up there in innings. He's been leading the league in innings the past few years, or at least up there with the league leaders. So moving forward, you know, you don't know how long he's going to be pitching at a Hall of Fame caliber level. You might as well take advantage of having the best pitcher on the planet while you still can. They've got a ton of prospects. It's an embarrassment just to the rest of the league how they've been able to be this good and still manage to put together such a good farm system. But looking moving forward, Dodgers are in good shape even after making this trade. They really don't have anything to worry about long term. They've got a ton of young guys and like Corey Seager, who's going to be there for a long time. So I really wouldn't be worried if I'm a Dodgers fan about what they had to give up. It's more of just gear up for this postseason because it's going to be a ride between the, the Cubs, the Nats, and the Dodgers. Yeah, I like what I like what you said about the Chapman trade last year with the Cubs making the difference. Uh, another player that really stands out to me is the Indians trade for Andrew Miller last year. Um, not a coincidence that both those teams ended up in the World Series, um, both trading for premier relievers. Uh, so, you know, when, when you have the chance to get to the World Series or have a chance to win the World Series, you got to go all in. And the Dodgers did exactly that. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of them for doing that. Credit to them, but also credit to Texas for uh, pulling the trigger when, you know, this didn't honestly, it was kind of a double-edged sword because they want Darvish back after this season. They want to do what the Yankees did and trade him and try and get him back. They want to do what the Red Sox did with Lester, uh, try and get him back, even though that didn't actually work. Um, But what the problem with trading him is that he loses that eligibility to be given the qualifying offer at the end of the season, which now is only a second round pick instead of a first pick that you have to give up. So teams are a little less reluctant to hand out that money to a player that's been given the qualifying offer. But, you know, trading a guy shows him like, hey, you know, we're willing to move on without you. I'm sure the front office talked to him before it was all said and done and said, listen, we want you back. Like, please come to us. But they lose that sole negotiating window to talk to him when other teams can't and they lose that qualifying offer. But the prospects that they did get back, not too bad either. Calhoun's been one of the best offensive players in AAA this season, providing both power and high average at the plate. He's on the cusp of making the majors. As Darvis was only a rental, the prospect talent drops off a little bit after Calhoun, but it still includes two prospects that were in the Dodgers' top 30. Alexi didn't convert to a full-time pitcher until his junior year of high school, so he still has a lot of work to do, but he's only 19 and is already in single A, which you know, is to say for a guy at his age, not a lot of people, especially coming from the States um, through the draft, are usually already up to single A by the time they're still a teenager. Um, he's also, I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy, but back when he was in his senior year of high school, he threw a nine-inning, 164-pitch complete game, um, which caused a lot of controversy. So uh, I remember when that report came out and when I was doing the research, I realized they were the same guy, and I was like, i got to say something about that. So... He um questionable decision by his coach for sure, um, but I guess he's shown that he can pitch a lot in one game. Um, and then there's Davis, who's uh, struggled defensively. He has 20 errors at shortstop this year and at the plate. He has a .243 batting average and 50, only 15 homers and 233 career minor league, minor league games. But he's still only 20 years old, so they got a lot of young players and considered a high ceiling, low floor kind of prospect. So a lot of expectations, but at the same time, if he doesn't pan out can't say they didn't see it coming but for a third guy in a trade like this you'd absolutely take it I'm surprised that the Rangers were able to get three players in general I didn't think that they were going to be able to get a third guy 
out of the Dodgers considering how much they love to hoard their prospects, but credit to them for getting a decent haul, even if they weren't able to pry those top three pitcher uh, prospects away from the Dodgers. They got that number four, who's still in the top 100, strengthens their farm system, which has been up and down the past few years. And uh, overall, I think it was a good trade for both teams as long as Texas is able to get Darvish back over the offseason. But while both those trades uh, turned out all right for those teams, except for maybe Oakland, um, there were some big whiffs at the deadline, and I'm going to go ahead and start with the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, man. Once again, Baltimore held on to Zach Britton when they shouldn't have, just as they should have sent him in during the wild card game, waiting for that save opportunity that never came. The Orioles are on pace for a career-worst record since 2011. No career. Worst record since 2011. And with a weak farm system and plenty of expensive contracts, shedding payroll and adding a few prospects would have been a great move for the long run. Instead, they traded for Tim Beckham and Jeremy Hellickson, which is head-scratcher in itself. Seems like they're going for it when, you know, they're five and a half games out of the division and even farther out of the wild card race, I believe. Peter Angelos reportedly nixed a trade with Houston that was agreed upon, physicals and all, so of course... Ownership had to step in, and uh, I just can't stand Angelos. I don't understand. He refuses to rebuild even when all the signs are pointing to this is the year. But, you know, Britton, Brad Brack, and Manny Machado are all free agents after next season. So can they really make the playoffs next year with their current rotation, which right now is by far the worst in the American League? Absolutely not. And they're not going to be a contender this year either. So moving forward, this is just horrible for the Orioles' future. And if I'm an Orioles fan, I'd be really worried right now. Michael. Yeah, I can uh, hear that Nationals fan discontent for the Orioles, rightfully so, that you have there. And uh, my biggest whiff as well was the Baltimore Orioles. I don't necessarily peg this on Dan Tukat, who by all accounts is a very um, good GM. Uh, Like you said, Peter Angelos is really the one at fault here. And to talk a little bit less about the Orioles specifically, I kind of want to parallel them to the Chicago White Sox and just kind of show the differences between the two approaches that uh, Rick Hahn, the GM for the White Sox and the Orioles organization, the two different approaches that they had. The White Sox, within the last couple of years, a lot of veteran talent. You look at guys like Chris Sale, who's obviously a superstar, Jose uh, Quintana, Adam Eaton, the Yankees trade where they gave up three solid major league players. They were basically able to trade for a top three, top two, top one farm system with all of those guys. The Orioles with similar talent, whether it be Machado, who's the most valuable of all those guys mentioned, or Zach Britton, um, they could have maybe done the same thing and put themselves in a rebuild. They opted not to do that. It's a very questionable decision. Obviously, it comes from the man at the top, um, but you just got to hate what they did there, especially when you consider the fact that the Red Sox and the Yankees, both who can who have higher payrolls and are just better positioned in the next five years, the Orioles really have kind of set themselves back, um, and it's just it's puzzling to me. Um, it's an organization that they've had moderate success the last five years. Maybe they want to prolong that for as long as they can. Like I said, a lot of those guys, Machado, Britton, O'Day, they're under control for next year, so maybe they'll give it one last run with the gang. But to me, this is not a team that's ready to compete for the World Series. You mentioned their pitching staff, which they've just never been able to solve, even in these five or six years where they've been a pretty good team. Um, it's it's a devastating trade deadline for that organization. They'll be able to revisit some of it in the winter. Uh, Machado, I think, is a very likely superstar to get traded um, if they can look themselves in the mirror and Peter Angelos can pull the trigger there. But it's a pretty bad trade deadline for the Orioles. I'm not complaining, but uh, it's it's it was rough. Yeah, Angelos has just never really ever pulled the trigger on a rebuild. He's consistently in on, all right, we're, we're going to compete. We don't rebuild. That's not how we do it in Baltimore. And, 
well, it's not going to bring you a World Series anytime soon either. So uh, I just I can't believe that he would go in, especially with the deal said and done with the Astros, um, whom we'll get to in a minute, also kind of whiffed on this deadline as well. It's just inexcusable. You know, you're running a baseball team. This is 2017. you, you got to look at what the facts are, and you have all these ant analytics that'll tell you just how bad a team you are but you'll look at them and say ah we can do it and let's get Tim Beckham and Jeremy Hellickson and that'll bring us a championship I don't think those are the missing keys Angelo so uh I just can't believe it yeah they'll I mean you look down the road too right now they might be in-house thinking we didn't have to deal those guys but they're gonna quickly realize when they don't make the playoffs this year and they kept all that valuable talent and those guys are losing value because it's another half season of control they have lost on all those players that are under contract for next season. They're going to realize they made a huge mistake. And, uh, I mean, if they don't trade Manny Machado this offseason, it's it's going to be bad. So, but I honestly don't think they will. I Like we said a couple of weeks ago, I didn't think the Orioles were going to sell, but we were talking about it, and they need to sell, and they didn't. And look where they're at now, and now we're complaining about what they did. So. But but my my biggest loser is the is the Houston Astros. Like I said in an earlier episode, if you have a high chance of winning the World Series, I think it's vital that you go out all in at the deadline. Like I said with the Dodgers earlier, and the Astros didn't. Uh, the Astros did not make a move um, that makes them significantly better the rest of the way. Um, they they're in the need of a starter or two in the rotation. Lance McCullers went on the DL yesterday with back discomfort, which is always kind of concerning um, with starting pitching and. The, the Astros needed to do more at the deadline, and they just completely whiffed when the opportunity came. Yeah, they were in on Britain. They were the team that got the closest to making a deal happen, and then once Angelos nixed it, they really didn't have a fallback plan, and that was already the ball was rolling on everybody else for other teams. I don't understand why they didn't make a move for Brad Hand at that point. Apparently the Padres say that no one even came close to offering kind of what they were looking for, even though there were reports surfacing saying that their prospect package that they were looking for was reasonable. Um, maybe that wasn't the case and that was something that got leaked, which is certainly the case with a lot of these rumors. Everyone needs to take that into account when following on Twitter. You know, this is a chess game and over at the trade deadline and teams are going to leak stuff like that. So. I don't think the uh, Padres budged on their op- that what they their price was for Hand, even though he's an all-star this year and he's, he's Brad Hand. I mean, he was just DFA'd by Marlins last season and just came out of nowhere. Even though he's got two more years of control, it just didn't seem like reasonable to have such high a price. Anyway, Astros should have made a bigger offer for him. All these other contenders are showing that they're willing to dig into their farm system to go all in. Astros have the best record in the American League. They can take advantage of that lead in the division and secure that number one seed, but instead they let the Yankees make the biggest splash in the AL, and they're all kind of on the outside looking in. So if I were an Astros fan, I'd be worried about the state of that rotation and possibly if the Yankees can catch them in the standings because with the rotation that they've got now with Gray and the offense that they've had, I wouldn't be surprised if the injury-riddled Astros kind of fall off in the second half. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think adding Francisco Liriano um, is enough. And they actually gave up what looks to be a, a real MLB player, maybe a fourth outfielder that the Blue Jays got in return. 
Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you guys. The Astros kind of, they're, they're kind of like the Dodgers too, where they just have such a big lead that maybe they're fine coasting into the one seed. The Dodgers obviously did a different, or had a different approach when they went out and got Darvish. Maybe the Astros could have found a Derek Fisher UVA guy to be expendable, try and bring someone in to kind of bolster that team. Uh, it's going to be tough in that American League with the Red Sox, Yankees, Indians, and even the Royals who have kind of been the bane of the American League's existence the last couple of years um, for for the Astros to not go out and do something. We'll see if uh, if that hurts them come October. No, it's just so di- it's so disappointing because they they almost have as big of a need in their starting rotation as the Yankees do. And look what the Yankees do. Go out and get Jaime Garcia and Sonny Gray. Uh, great for their rotation. But then the Astros do absolutely nothing. And even worse, they lose Lance McCullers to the DL. So now they just got even weaker than they were before. Um, it's just mind-boggling that the, the Astros didn't make a deal before the deadline other than Francisco Liriano. Yeah, but, you know, this is the way it ends up. There's still time to make a couple of uh, waiver deals uh, if they can. The Nats have been notorious for doing that over the past few years. They picked up Mark Subchinsky last year and Matt Thornton a couple of years ago. So there's definitely still time for that, and I'm sure the Astros will be making some phone calls there and trying to pick up a relief arm or two. But um, maybe even a starter if they can. But, you know, other teams can block that, so we'll see if it actually gets done. Uh, final thing we're looking at today is the NL Central race. Two teams that were active at the deadline are the Cubs and Brewers, who are kind of shaping up to be the two teams at the top of that NL Central. Cardinals kind of in there, Pirates kind of in there, but right now it looks to be a two-team race, race between those two teams. The Cubs went ahead and got Jose Quintana earlier in the month, then went and got Justin Wilson and Al Avila to shore up a couple spots, um, one in the bullpen, one as a backup catcher after DFA Miguel Motero. So they've been on fire since trading for Quintana, 13-3, and and now have a two-and-a-half game over Milwaukee. Kevin, do you think that the Cubs made enough moves to create some distance with the Brewers, and are they going to be for real in the second half? Yeah, I think the NL Central race is, is really over. I think there's one playoff team uh, in that division. It's the Cubs, Since, like you said, since the break, 13-3. and uh, they're playing like the same Cubs that won the World Series last year. They're finally in that mode. Um, and I think Theo Epstein did a great job going out and getting Quintana to kind of, you know, hey, I'm buying into you guys this year. I think you guys can do it. Um, I'm going to go get you a starter and let's win. And then, you know, the great deal at the deadline, uh, getting Justin Wilson, a uh, good left-handed reliever, and sharing up the backup catching position with Alex Avila was, was a great move especially after they cut Miguel Montero. And Alex Avila is probably having one of his best uh, years of his career. So just a great move. And then you look at the rest of the division. The Cardinals uh, didn't make any big moves to the deadline, which I think was a huge mistake with like Lance Lynn and some other valuable assets that they have they could have moved. Uh, the Brewers added a couple of, of relievers, but, but nothing big, reacquiring Jeremy Jeffries. And they're 3-7 and seven in the last 10. They're starting to falter a little bit. Everyone was kind of seeing that coming. Uh, the Pirates stayed about the same team, adding Joaquin Benoit from the Phillies, but also trading Tony Watson to the Dodgers. So they aren't really going anywhere either. Uh, I just think the NL Central race is over, um, and the trade deadline just set that in stone. Yeah, I do think that the Brewers um, acquiring Anthony Swarzak was a sneaky good move. I was impressed with what he's done this year. He's having a breakout season, and Corey Niebel has been an impressive uh, closer this season for them. So I think their bullpen between them and if Jeffress, whose best baseball has always been in Milwaukee, the three of them can form a pretty formidable uh, late-inning trio, N- not necessarily that of what the Yankees have, but 
certainly three very capable arms who have closing experience. Um, I'd be very comfortable if I were a Brewers fan handing things over in late innings. However, their starter, their starting rotation is pretty injury riddled. Chase Anderson, Matt Garza, and Junior Guerrero are all in the DL, and they probably could have used an additional outfielder too. Uh, JD Martinez was an absolute steal if you look back at that trade now that the Diamondbacks made a few weeks ago. They probably could have got in there and made an offer and picked up Martinez, which really would have been a boost for that offense, which has cooled off as of late. Um, between that and maybe picking up another starter like Lance Lynn, as we talked about last week, who didn't actually get moved, but was probably a pretty well-discussed uh, option by a lot of teams. There were just a few moves that I think they left on the table, and that probably could have helped with you know, the Cubs on fire lately. This is probably when you want to be making a move. You know, Give your team a boost, show them, hey, front office believes in the roster that we have. But instead, they make a couple of under-the-radar moves, and we'll have to sort it out with the rosters they have. Um, and yeah, I think the Cubs are clearly the better team. They have too much talent to be uh, playing as poorly as they did for all season. So I, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm pretty comfortable with where they're at right now and where they're going to be the rest of the season. Yeah, it's unfortunate for me. I was on right before the All-Star game, as I mentioned earlier, and I I was not too high on the Cubs. Of course, subsequently, they've gone on an absolute tear and have kind of swung themselves back into the Cubs that we all expected. Um but I, I agree with you guys. I think um, they did what suited them the best. And quite frankly, the Brewers did what suited them the best as well. And for the Brewers, that's not going for it this year. Um, but back to the Cubs there, you know, by getting Quintana, that was the big move. Then you add out or you add in one of the more uh, wipeout left-handers this season in Wilson from the Tigers. Um, and if you're the Cubs too, you've already cashed in on a lot of your prospects to win now and win last year. And with such a young core that they have, you may as well go for it while the window's there um, and while they have a couple game lead in that central. So I like what they did. I think uh, that Nationals Cubs series that's lining up for uh, the first week or so of October is going to be a real treat to baseball fans. And, and then when you want to talk about the Brewers, this is a young team, young core, some good guys in the pipeline. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with them who standing pat, you know, they had a decent lead five and a half, six games, whatever it was. And, you know, they lost the series to the Cubs and they've kind of fallen behind a little bit, but you know what? They were not going into this season thinking they'd be the contenders that they were halfway through. It was kind of found money. And when things started to slip, you know, it was kind of good on their part not to panic and say, you know what? We really need to go for it this year. Um, so I approve of what the Brewers did as well. And just kind of sitting back and, and saying our best is yet to come and not compromising that for, uh, you know, a feeble playoff push that, you know, wouldn't result in them winning a World Series by, you know, most likely. You make a great point. I mean, they didn't expect to be contending this season. They're kind of just kind of amazed that they've been able to hang in it so far. And a big part of it has been just the fact that the Cubs haven't been able to produce. So now that the Cubs are playing like the Cubs, you know, give them a little bit of a push and see what they can do with it. But other than that, stay on course and look forward to the next few seasons when they're going to have a pretty good young core coming up. And that's going to wrap us up for today. I did want to throw in there Hall of Fame inductions with the same day as the trade deadline. Darren Ravel's guy, Jeff Bagwell, and my uh, guys in the former Expos, Tim Raines and Pudge Rodriguez. Three guys absolutely deserving. Love to see that. However, having it on the same day of the trade deadline, I think was a kind of an oversight, kind of took away the attention from each other. So I would have wished to see that maybe one got moved the other day. But, you know... Whatever happens, happens. Speaking of Hall of Famers, though, Adrian Beltre had his 3,000th career hit. 
over the weekend. He's absolutely going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, which kind of snuck up on everybody. You know, not a lot of people would have maybe seen him coming as a first ballot Hall of Famer, and then all of a sudden it was just kind of understood that you know he's going to the Hall. So um, absolute uh, class act, even though he uh, can mess around sometimes. I love the thing he did the other day when he pulled the. Um, on deck circle over near home plate because the umpire didn't like where he was standing and he got ejected. That would be the only way Adrian Beltre could ever get ejected, and I loved it. So um, love what we've seen out of him the past whatever years and overall just some great baseball going around. Well, droning on, I'm Matt Wyrick. Thank you guys for joining us. Follow me on Twitter at Matt Talk Sports, Michael Rockless, Kevin Haswell. Guys, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be back. Thanks, guys.